Welcome back. I am here with Debbie Jordan-Cobble. Debbie, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely flabbergasted that you'd spend time with me today to talk about your experiences. So, <laughs> And I know the audience is going to love this episode because we all want to understand what the heck is going on. And your experience happened, or at least started, roughly 40 years ago, and it was recounted in Bud Hopkins' book, Intruders. So let's just start from the very first incident and then work our way through what happened with your experience. Okay. Well, I've had experiences. I've had strange things happen to me my whole life, all the way back till I was six. By the way, did you have any dreams, like strange dreams when you were that age? When I was a kid? Yes. Yeah. I did have strange dreams. I had a, a recurring dream that would come in threes. Like I would have the first part one night, the second part, the, and then the third part the third night. And, and that happens several times over the course of my life. And it was always the same dream. And it started when I was a kid. The reason I ask is I think these experiences are more common than most people think. I just don't think most people remember. Mm -hmm. And I've talked to Terry Loveless about this. And he said that a lot of people have a strange dream that they all remember four to six years of age. And I had something similar, but it was the most anodyne dream you could possibly imagine. But I would wake up terrified and I still remember it. I would walk into my sister's room and it would open up into the backyard. It would be daytime and there would be this little old woman who would be folding clothing. She would be about four feet tall and Sometimes there would be a baby in a basket at the threshold, and sometimes there wouldn't. All right, that's it. And then I'd wake up. And that was a nightmare for me. And to this day, I don't know why, but it would be recurring around that age. That's the sort of thing I'm talking about. Could you just give me a quick example of something that you may have had at that age? Around six or seven years old is when I had the first dream that I was trying to claw my way across a, an open field, and I was at the edge of some woods. And it was raining and storming and the wind was blowing and the color was, it was real dim out like evening or storm clouds. And there was flashes of light above me like lightning, but it was going back and forth from cloud to cloud instead of down in different colors. And I was really struggling to get across this open field to this hill. And I'm going to tell you the whole dream, but it came in three parts. Random question. Uh, what color was the grass? I don't, green, I don't really call seeing a lot of okay. grass. I was in mostly mud, but I was crawling, uh, I managed to get across out of this gully that was alongside this edge of this wooded area. And I managed to get across. The wind was so strong that I was digging my fingers into the mud. It was real muddy. It had been raining for a long time. It's really wet. I got to the foot of this hill where I knew I had to get to. And a man was standing on top of the hill. But the man was not affected by all of the stuff going on around him. His hair wasn't blowing around. His clothes weren't blowing around. He was clean. He was dry. And it almost was like he was lit up from the inside. So it was like he wasn't even affected by this. In retrospect, it could have been like a, a hologram even. You know what I mean? But I got to the foot of the, the hill and I'm trying to get up it. And he reaches down and wants me to take his hand and says, it's time to go. 
And then I wake up. And, it, and I had that dream, that series of three dreams, several times, starting as a child. And I remembered it. I also had another weird dream of waking up in my bed. And there was a giant black, no, this is weird, worm-like thing laying next to me. And I tried to get away from it. And it literally started to suck the air out of me. It, it was this close to my face. And because it got this close to my face and I could feel the air being sucked out of me. And then I woke up. I mean, so it was a nightmare, you know, but uh, though that's a bizarre nightmare. Yeah, unlike mine, that, that's a legit nightmare. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it, it sounds like a leech. Kind of. it, it, and you know, as I got older and I would think about it because I remembered it and I would think about it. Yeah, it was kind of like that, only fatter. You know, when I saw Jabba the Hutt for the first time on Star Wars, it made me immediately think of that nightmare because it was kind of like that, only not sitting up, but laying down. It was just ugh, weird. And I've had these lucid, what I call lucid or vivid dreams throughout my life. They increased tenfold after June 30th, 1983. And they're different than regular dreams. I always have these at the end of right before I wake up. So I, I guess that's when, I don't know, is that when your REM sleep is or your deepest sleep? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And you got to write them down. Otherwise they're gone. No, mine, I am the exact opposite. When huh. I have these dreams, first of all, I, these are in color and in 3D and I'm not watching them. I'm in them. And when I wake up, I remember them. And the longer I'm awake, the more detail of it I remember. And it's in here forever. I write them down because I think they're important and they mean something. I don't know what, but so I write them down, but I don't forget them. Most of the time I have regular dreams, just like everyone else. I wake up and I'm like, oh, I think I had a dream. It might've even been kind of creepy. I don't know. But then like 10 minutes later, I can't barely remember any details. And an hour later, I don't even remember if I dreamed or not. You know, I mean, it just goes away. And that's the way most of mine do. But those lucid, vivid ones, they stick with me. They stay. And I told somebody one time, it's almost like I go somewhere else when I sleep and I'm in that state because it, it's different. I don't know how to explain it, but it, it is different. Like I said, I've Have done that all my life, but it really increased after June 30, 83. Have you ever read Journeys Out of the Body by Robert Monroe? No, I have not. But I have had that suggested to me by multiple people. And I know a lady who she's passed away now, but she actually went and studied at the Monroe Institute. And when I would tell her about my dreams and things like that, she's like, you know, you really should look into this because it sounds very familiar. You might be doing something other than dreaming, you know, but I just never got around to it because for the last 15 years, I've worked in a factory which is a lot of overtime, raising kids, being a housewife and a mom and a full-time factory worker. I just recently retired a couple of years ago. And so, you know, I haven't had time nor money to do something like that, but it would be interesting. I think I'd find it interesting. Yeah. Just pick up the book and see if it mm -hmm. reminds you, if the experience reminds you of anything. Okay. So it started with dreams. Mm -hmm. Then what? Then when I was a teenager, 
I had a couple of very unusual experiences and I was with other people. It wasn't just me. When I was 16, I was out running around in the night with a girlfriend of mine and a friend of hers. We'd been at the skating rink because we used to like to go roller skating on Saturday and Friday, Saturday night. And her boyfriend lived out in the country. So after he left the skating rink, she wanted to go stalk him a little bit to make sure he had gone home like he said he was going to. So we're out in the country here on the far east side of Indianapolis at the time, way out in the country and driving around late at night. And I happened to notice a light in the sky. And for some reason, I kind of laughed and I said, oh, look, that's look at there's a UFO. And I kind of giggled. And when I said that, the girl in the backseat who I didn't know literally just flipped out. She got hysterical and said, don't say that. And the closer the light got to us, the more scared she got. And I'm just like, what is that? And my friend who was driving, she was watching it too. And frankly, here's where it gets a little crazy. The last thing I remember about the girl in the back seat, she was on the floorboard in the back seat, screaming and crying. I am sitting in the passenger seat. Dolores had pulled over and we were trying to get a look at this light because it was getting bigger. And she pulled over. And then the next memory I have is being enveloped in like a black cloud or mist. And then I felt as if someone was pulling me out of the car by my legs. And then the next thing I remember is we're driving down the road, headed back to Dolores's house. It's hours later. The sun's about to come up. We got to hurry up and get home because her parents would flip out if they knew we'd been out all night. So we actually literally like climbed through the bedroom window to get back in her room before her parents' alarm went off, wake them up to go to work so they wouldn't see that we wouldn't home, you know? And and nothing was ever said about that night again. And all of the memories and the weirdness kind of just fuzzed away in my head. Years later, when Bud came to investigate the June 30, 83 incident, he, of course, interviewed neighbors, interviewed friends, talked to family members, everybody. And one thing he had asked was, well, did you ever remember having anything strange happened before this? And I was telling him about this night and another night that I will tell you about. And he said, is there any way that we can maybe talk to Dolores? And I said, well, I haven't talked to her for years because her and I kind of drifted apart after that. Nothing dramatic, just, you know, how people do when they get older. But I managed to get her number and find her because her older brother and my older sister were still friends. And she invited us, me and Bud, to come over to talk about that night. So we went in and sat down. And the first thing Bud asked her about that. And she goes, now, do you want to know about the light in the sky or the one on the ground? And when she said that, I was like, what? What do you mean what light on the ground? I didn't even remember the light being on the ground. She remembered everything I had remembered as far as seeing the light and her friend flipping out of her pulling over the side of the road to get a better look. But then her story went on. She got out of the car because the light was on the ground. And as she's getting out of the car and walking towards this light, then her memory goes away. And the next thing she remembers is driving home and it's, oh my God, we got to hurry up and get home. My mom and dad's alarm's about to go off. I didn't even remember the light being on the ground. 
for all those years. It never was in my conscious memory. And so Bud asked her, do you want to be maybe regressed to see if you can remember more? And she said, oh, no. She goes, I've gone this long. This was 10 years later, at least. She's like, I've gone this long. I don't need to know. I don't want to know. Everything's fine. And he respected that, you know, and I did too. I'm like, I get you, girl. There's still a lot of stuff I don't remember time I have missing that I don't remember what happened. But so that was a bizarre thing that happened. And then when I was first married, which wasn't that long afterwards, because I got married right after I turned 18. Right after I got married, my husband and I were in bed and I was awakened by two people in my room. They weren't people. They were the gray type aliens. And this was, you know, this was back in 1978. This was before you saw this on TV and everything like Mm -hmm. that, you know, and I drew the picture for Bud. They were about four and a half feet tall, maybe. I'm bad with height judging. They were shorter than me, and I'm five two. So, and they were real skinny and had big heads, no hair, great big black eyes that were almost like alive, you know, kind of like shimmering. Mm-hmm. And they were at the foot of the bed. And my first thought in my head was, oh my God, don't come near me. Don't touch me. I mean, I was pure panic. And instantly that panic was replaced by calm. And I was able to sit up in the bed and look at them. And one of them had a box in his hand, like a shoebox looking thing. And it had like either a red light was on top of it or in it. And there was a hole in it, but there was a red light on the top. And it kind of floated over to me and into my hands on my lap as I sat in the bed. All the time, my husband is laying next to me and he never moves. And I said to one of these things, what is this? Can I have it? Because I'm thinking I need to have this so I can show him what happened last night. And it said, and I don't remember seeing its mouth or talking or any, but it somehow said to me, no, you can't have it. But when you see it again, you'll know what it's for and how to use it. And I'm like, okay. And then it floated back to them. They kind of drifted back away from the bed towards the wall and the window. And then they just kind of got fuzzy and disappeared. And at that point I could move and I flipped over and I started shaking Charlie and I'm like, dude, wake up, Charlie, wake up. You're not going to believe what just happened. And he would not wake up. No matter what I did, he was breathing. I was making sure he was breathing. And so I just slipped back down into the covers and I went to sleep, which also doesn't make any sense, but that's what I did. A few things about this box, because what I'm about to tell you might not have anything to do with it, but it might. So this concept keeps coming up again and again and again, not just in your experience, but in other things. So There are these old paintings from feudal Japan where there's a picture of a craft and there's a human looking person or being that's always carrying this box, just this square rectangular box. There's also, if you look at Coral Castle in Florida, Lip Scallion, the the guy who moved these massive stones, you know, tons 
by himself at night. There's a little box. Now it could be a toolbox or something like that, but the same thing with, there's a remote viewer that I interviewed, Stefan Schwartz, who talks about an energy source post 2040 that powers everything, people's homes, things like that, but varying sizes of this box, this rectangular box. The last thing is the old ancient pictures of the Anunnaki. They're also carrying like a little sort of box-like object in their hands throughout ancient history. Now, I don't know if they're all the same or if they could all be completely different, but this concept keeps coming up over and over again. Yeah, I don't know what it means. I remember seeing it, but I don't know if I've used it yet or not. But anyway, so the next morning, I still remembered all of it. And I was definitely not asleep. It was not a dream. I was adamant with my husband. I told my husband about it. And all he did was look at me, roll his eyes and say, what did you eat for dinner last night? Because you shouldn't eat it again. And I'm like, no, you're not even funny. So I called my mother and I told my mother all about it. And I was, you know, just really animated about it. I was lucky. My family was very supportive because we all had weird things happen all our lives. I thought it was normal as a kid growing up. Didn't realize it. Not everybody's life was like this until I got to school, you know, mm-hmm. and, and started being around more kids. But anyway, so I, I told her all about everything. And then we didn't speak about it for years. And then when Bud came and started the investigation and he came out and would sit down around the dinner table with coffee and I'll talk. And I remember Bud asking my mom. Do you remember any other strange things? And my mom immediately tells him this story. Oh, she called me one morning and she was just hysterical with these two things that come into her room the night before. And she swears that she was wide awake, you know, I mean, so she confirmed it with Bud, you know, years later, she, she remembered it and told him. So there's that weird stuff that happened. And I was 18 at that time. And then when June 30, 83 happened, I think I was 24, 23, somewhere around in there. I can't remember the exact. I had gotten divorced at that point, had two little kids and I had moved back home with my parents. And that incident happened in June of 1983. So in June, it's going to be 40 years since that happened, which I can't believe it's been 40 years and I can't believe I'm that old. (laughs) But the incident that Bud Hopkins wrote the book Intruders about happened when I was in my early 20s in 1983. And we had a a lot of paranormal activity in between that, what people now call paranormal activity. We called it ghostly or spirits or whatever, poltergeist activity, things like that happened in our house and around us, not just in the house where mom and dad lived, but like when us kids moved out and got our own places, it happened. To, it wasn't the homes we were in. It was us that was somehow attracting this stuff. See what I mean? So. Well, when you say it was us, is it possible that it, that it was you? In other words, that you were causing the poltergeist activity? Uh, I mean, it could be, but it, it was either us causing it or us attracting it. I don't know which. And what sort of activity was it? Like lights flickering out off and on, things like that? Oh, yeah. Light bulbs would shatter and drop down out of a swag lamp and then shoot across the room. One time, mom and I were sitting in the living room watching TV with my two boys, and this bright green flash, boom, filled up the whole living room really 
intensely. I had my eyes open and I saw it was a green ball about that big in the middle of the living room. It turned off the TV, made the telephone ring and shattered the light bulb next to the lamp in the lamp that my mom was sitting next to all at the same time. We've had little blue balls of light fly through the house and whiz around our heads and then fly it right out the window. Stereos turning on and off, TVs turning on and off, lights turning on and off. One time my mother went down the basement to do laundry and there had been some copper pipes just laying in the rafters that had been attached to something that had been changed out and they were no longer being used. And one of those was tied in a knot. My sister and her boyfriend were down in the basement playing pool with teenagers and they were making out on the pool table. <laughs> there was one of those steel like portable closets down there that we had some extra clothes in and the doors mm-hmm. didn't latch anymore. So they had, my mom had like wrapped a, a bent of a coat hanger to hold it closed. And while her and her boyfriend were down there making out, they heard something and they watched this coat hanger unband itself. And then the doors banged open from the inside and smashed open with the steel cabinet. And there was nothing in there, but some clothes. And the boy took off. They both ran upstairs screaming and hollering and the boy never came back. (laughs) He never came back to the house and she never saw him again. But so just stuff like that happened. The last time I remember something really vivid, mom, Kathy and I were sitting at the kitchen table. We were having coffee and all of us smoked at the time. And my mom had this great big amber ashtray. Like everybody had one. They weighed like 20 pounds and they were huge. And we were talking about something, probably something mystical or weird because my mom loved Sylvia Brown and Jean Dixon. If you're old enough, to, I'm sure you don't know who either one of those, they're, they're old psychic. They used to write columns in the newspapers, horoscopes and stuff. Anyway, I reached over to flip my cigarette, bam, just like that. And as I did that, the ashtray snapped in half with a great loud pop. And one side slid to one edge of the table and the other side slid to the other edge of the table. So one in front of my sister, one in front of my mother. And all the little cigarette ashes and stuff stayed in the middle of the table. And my first reaction was, oh, my God, did I do that? That's pretty cool. My older sister, who was not fond of this kind of stuff at all, said, I'm out of here. And she grabbed her purse and she left. And my mom couldn't have cared less about what either one of us thought. She was mad because that ashtray had cost a fortune and it was now broke. And she was going to see if my dad could figure out a way to glue it back together. So what was your emotional state when that thing broke? I don't remember. We were just talking about whatever we always chat about. I don't recall. I spent my entire teen years and my young adult years anxious and, and anxiety and was actually Mm -hmm. diagnosed with anxiety disorder and, you know, generalized anxiety disorder in my younger years. So you can be rest assured, whatever my mental state was, it was probably multiplied five times. (laughs) Yeah, Lynn Buchanan, who's a former DOD remote viewer, had experiences similar when he was growing up where there was an incident where he took out all the top secret compartmentalized facilities in all of Europe on both sides of the Iron Curtain. 
that's when he a, got angry. Like when he got uh, angry, he got that's extremely like angry. The Hulk anger. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, he did. He he knew he did it, but no one else really knew he did it except this particular that's, general who recruited him into the remote viewing program. After well, that, that's funny because when I was a kid, when I was younger, maybe thirteen or so, it was right after we moved in over there at that house. So I was probably fourteen. Mike's older sister thought it would be a great anniversary gift for our parents to refinish the kitchen cabinets because mom always complained about how ugly they were. So she'd taken all the doors off the cabinets and was painting them. And it was my job. We couldn't afford to buy new handles. So it was my job to clean the brass handles and polish them back up. And so she had them out in a bucket out next on the driveway with the hose and the cleaning stuff and a scrub brush. And I didn't want to do it. And I was mad because she was making me do it because I could have cared less. So I'm out there with a scrub brush, just scrubbing on these brass. These are solid brass door handles, kitchen doors. I'm scrubbing them and scrubbing them and cussing her under my breath and everything else. And she comes out to check on me. How's it going? She starts pulling the handles out of the bucket and they're all bent and twisted so much so that half of them we couldn't even put back on the cabinets. So we had to go buy new ones because she couldn't get them bent back to fit right because they're solid brass. And she threw a fit. What in the hell did you do to these handles? Because she knew I was mad at her. And I'm like, I didn't do anything. I was just cleaning them. She said, well, somebody twisted them all up. And I go, wasn't me. Wasn't me. I don't know. Maybe it was me. I don't know. And I thought to myself, oh, I do that. You know, I didn't say that out loud because I didn't want her to think I did it. But so it's funny you would say that about anger and emotion because I had that kind of experience. Now, I don't Same thing with your sister, though. Same thing with your sister. She was, I mean, I'm sure there was some emotion on the pool. She was mad at me, too. So, yeah. (laughs) I mean, it might not necessarily have to be anger. It could be strong emotion Mm -hmm. in Anyway, and by the way, Lynn Buchanan also had an abduction experience that he found out later in his life. A, I don't know if this is an ability that people have, but that's a working hypothesis. And B, the the next question would be, is that potential attracting these beings or has it been developed and enhanced by them? And I don't know the answer to that. I don't uh, either. I've asked myself the same question a million times am I like this because I was born this way and they see that and that's why they come or did they make me this way even inadvertently by contacting me the way they did? Did they rewire something in me or trigger something in me that's in everybody, but maybe just not plugged in yet? You know what I'm saying? I've asked myself those questions many times. So there's a Stanford professor or the Stanford medical school. His name is Dr. Gary Nolan. I talked to him in June, and part of his research is the CIA came to him, and people who had Havana syndrome symptoms, but also people who had experience with UAPs, UFOs, whatever the working definition is today. And there was, I guess he describes it as scarring or damage to this brain structure called the caudate potomen. And I think he was looking into whether or not the experiences created that damage or if that damage was already there. And, and damage is probably not the proper word. There's and just I was a gonna, difference. 
I was going to say, is it actually damage or is it just something different? And that's exactly. interesting because I have a condition that I was born with called fibromuscular dysplasia of the renal arteries. It's very rare and genetic, and it can come in any artery in your body. It usually shows up in the kidneys, the main aorta, the carotids, or the brain. So because I have this, and I've had to have a renal angioplasty to reopen that renal artery, every five years, I have what's called an MRA and a CTA of my neck and brain to make sure all the arteries are not twisted or closed. Okay. In the process of that and the CAT scans that were done on my brain and the MRIs that were done on my brain because of the FMD, I found out that I have what they call bright spots, several bright spots in my brain. I'm told by my neurologists and my optical neurologist that they're kind of normal or we see these they're not life-threatening it's not like a tumor we just watch them i don't know what it means i started having after june 30th 83 i started having migraines and not a lot i've only had maybe five major ones in my entire life but in 2017 i started having optical migraines where i see rotating prisms of triangles and sparkly lights in my vision. And then I go completely blind for about 25 minutes. And of course they were all over me with the fine tooth comb and confirmed that they are ocular migraines and they are not life-threatening other than if I go blind when I'm driving. And she said that there's scarring, they call it scarring on my brain. Some of it is in the visual cortex, wherever it is that your brain processes what your eyes sees. That's where this is in my brain. So that's kind of weird. And as a result of June 30th, 1983, when I encountered that bright blast of white light that hit me, and I can't prove this, but I will go to my grave believing that that night is when my eyes got damaged. You blacked out after you started seeing these triangles and things like that with these migraines. What other health effects of you experienced that were related to this heavy activity in certain areas of the brain? Did they show you where that was, by the way? She showed it to me. My neurologist is really good about showing you all the films and pointing everything out to you. I know what my brain looks like on an MRA. It's like a tree because it lights up all of the vessels, you know, in your brain. And she pointed them out to me. There were several, there's one in the center. And so I'm not, I'm not an expert on the caudate Potomac, but I know the pineal gland and the caudate Potomac, I think, are somewhere around the center. I said, Oh my God, you know, am I going to die? What is that? And she's like, No, don't worry about it. She said, It's not anything that we really worry about. We watch them and you don't have any symptoms. And the migraines, I, I didn't know this. The ocular neurologist who studied me or, you know, took care of me for the ocular migraine said that migraines, if you have them in the same region of the brain enough times, they'll leave a scar, which I didn't know that. And I don't even still know that if she just wasn't BSing me. But whatever the migraines I have now originate from the whatever, where your brain, where your eyeballs send to your brain. I think it's called the visual cortex. That's where you process mm-hmm. what comes in through your eyes. That's where I have the migraines. And I can't prove it. 
But June 30th, 1983, that incident that burned a mark in the yard and, and basically I think killed my dog. When I was hit in the chest with that white light that I couldn't get away from that felt like it was burning my eyes. After that night, my eyes were erect. The next morning when I woke up, the next morning, my mom had to take me to the emergency room because my eyes were swelled shut and I couldn't bear the pain. And the first thing that the doctor said when he looked in my eyes is he asked me if I had looked into the arc of a welder's torch. And I'm mm-hmm. like, uh, no. At that point, I didn't tell him about the bright light hitting me in the face and the chest because I didn't remember it. But after that point, my eyes were never right. Like I said, I went way farsighted. I went like plus three farsighted from never having to wear glasses. My eyes watered and burned on and off. To this day, 40 years later, they still do that. And they'll turn red for no reason. I've lost my lenses and I now have acrylic lenses that cataracts got so bad that I couldn't see and they had to be taken out. And I have macular degeneration, which is dry and stable, thank God, because they caught it early. I was 30 something, which is very unusual to have age-related macular degeneration when you're 30. I can't help but feel that that experience in 83 is why my eyes were wrecked. Maybe why I have the ocular migraines now and who all knows what else. So it's interesting. There's somebody actually looking at stuff like that because I got a brain here. You can look at if you want. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's, it's like three categories of people. They're the, the diplomats who've been targeted by the Savannah syndrome. There's some remote viewers and then experiencers. Well, there's something definitely happened. I mean, when your eye doctor looks in your eyes and goes, wow, at first I was going to a regular eye doctor, like an ophthalmologist, the ones you just go Mm -hmm. get your vision checked. And the last time I went to one like that, he looked in my eyes and he goes, you need to go to another kind of doctor. (laughs) I'm like, okay, (laughs) that's probably not a good thing. So, okay. Now going all the way back. So you had the experience in your bedroom with the black box. Mm -hmm. So I talked through the June 30th, 1983 experience. Actually, really quick, just to inject some historical timing. That's an odd period for that to happen because in November of that year, the U.S. military conducted this large-scale operation called Operation Noble Archer. And it's it's not like a conspiracy theory thing. It's, a, you, you know, it's, you know, go to the Washington Post, you'll find it. But that was likely the closest time we came to nuclear war since the Cuban Missile Crisis. Hmm. So the context and the timing is interesting. So June 30th, 1983. Mm-hmm. I was living with my parents. I had just moved back home. I was a single mom with two little kids, 14 months apart, two boys. And I was getting ready to go to the street behind us to help a friend cut out patterns for costumes. And I was standing at the back kitchen window, looking out as I was getting ready to go. And I noticed a strange light in the pump house at the swimming pool. My parents had a big cement pond swimming pool with pump house and everything. And I mentioned it to my mom. I'm like, that that shouldn't be open. I was out there earlier and I know I closed it. And she's like, man, your father might've stopped in there on his way to work. My dad worked second shift. So I'm like, okay. 
I got my car and I decided to drive back the side drive and onto the turnaround just to have one more look before I left to make sure there wasn't any funny business going on. Because dad had a big workshop back there full of Indian motorcycles and Alpine Sunbeam little race English race cars that he restored and a lot of money. And I was about to leave my little kids there with mom, you know. So I drove down there and around and looked and the light was gone. The light had gone off. But I noticed the pedestrian door to the garage that was attached to the house in the back there was open now. Instead of stopping, I just went on to Deanna's because it took like literally a minute and a half to get there. And I called her. I said, hey, pedestrian doors open. That means Penny's out. That was my dog. And she's like, don't worry about it. It's fine. Your dad can get her when he gets home. I'll just lock the doors. I'm like, okay. So I hang the phone up and then she called right back. And she says, I need you to come home right now. And I could tell she was scared of something had shook her up immediately after we hung up. And I I must have had some kind of emotion in my voice because my girlfriend's husband said, tell her to call the police. That's what they get paid for. And she heard him and she said, no, I don't want anybody here but you. I go, okay. I said, I'll be back. I got my car minute and a half back home. This time I pulled up the side driveway and I got out. Mom was standing in the door of the patio room there right by the drive. And I walked in that back door and next to the trash compactor was a shotgun. That was my dad's. And I picked it up and my mom says, you know, that's not loaded. Right. And I go, yes, I know. That was the deal. When I moved in with two kids, dad wanted his shotgun, please. I don't want it loaded with my kids in there. So I said, whoever's out there doesn't know it's not loaded. I can get close enough to them to hit them with it before they figure it out. So, you know, (laughs) and I'm not brave. So the fact that I even went out there and did that, especially then I was much meeker than I am now. Now I might do that, but back then I wouldn't, that was out of character for me. You did have children though. You did have children. Mama bear bear moment. That mama bear moment. Yeah. That had to be what it was because I would normally not do something like that because I wasn't that brave, but I did. I went out, I looked around the pump house. I looked around the pool. I found my dog who had been in the garage. She was under dad's ladder truck, but she would not come out. She was whimpering and, and acting crazy. So I said, fine, stay. Walked back across the yard, didn't see anything. Went into that pedestrian door and looked around the garage thinking there was somebody had to be there. Nobody was there. And as I'm getting ready to leave, all of a sudden it felt like I was on fire. It's like I got swept with this like a hot flash, tingly, burning sensation. And I thought, oh my God, I got to get out of here right now. And I headed for the door. And as soon as I hit the open doorway, I was hit by a light that was so intense that I know my eyes were closed, but I couldn't not see it. It was so bright and intense. And it started right here. And it just like spread all over me, arms, legs, over my head. And I could feel every atom of my body vibrate. It started out as a shaking and it got so intense. It went from shaking to vibrating. And I had no sense of time. Like I have no idea how long I was in that condition. It could have been a hundred years or or the blink of an eye. I have no idea. My last thought was, oh my God, I'm dead. And then the next thing I remember, the vibrating stops. I am not in the doorway anymore. I am out on the cement patio, probably 20 feet, maybe 10 feet from the doorway. 
and I can't move, but I can see sort of, but my vision is so splotchy, like from when you got your picture taken with a flash cube in the olden days and you didn't blink fast enough and those white splotches. When I say I have those ocular migraines and afterwards I go blind, that's the kind of blindness I have, that white splotches of whiteness that goes over my vision and whole sections of my vision are missing. And that's what it was like. So I could see movement in front of me. I could see that there was somebody out in the yard. I couldn't see a lot of detail about them, but I thought they were children. And I thought, mm-hmm. what the hell are these little kids doing in my mom's backyard at this time of night? What are they doing? Because they were like coming from all angles of the yard. And they kind of lined up in front of me off to my right down by the driveway. And then they just kind of slid. They didn't walk, but they just kind of glided across the yard in front of me. And when I was watching them with my eyes, as they got to this thing, that's when I saw this thing. And then it's like, oh, I, what is that? I, you know, I, I'm like, I didn't want to look at it, but I didn't want to not look at it because I needed to know where it was at all times. (laughs) If it was coming close to me somewhere, I heard a disembodied voice say, It was unfortunate that I had felt that pain when I was hit with that light. I didn't see anybody. I don't know where the voice came was like from behind me. And at another point, I felt someone pushed down on my shoulders and I felt this burning sensation in my right ear. But I couldn't get away. I couldn't move. I could move my eyes and see. And that's it. Well, this thing that I saw wasn't much bigger than the pump house swimming pool, maybe 10 feet tall egg shaped was egg shaped kind of came to a point and then wider and then down i don't even know for sure if it was completely on the ground or not because it seemed like it almost wobbled slightly it reminded me of a bobber on a really smooth lake that just subtle Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and it had like real skinny legs coming out of the middle of it down but i don't feel like they could support it maybe just stabilize it. I don't know. And then I saw this ball of white light about the size of a basketball. And it was about five feet off the ground, several feet away from this thing. And it went down really slow. And then it came back up really slow. And I I don't know why, but I felt it was looking at me. But I don't know why. It didn't hurt to look at like the bright light did. It was more soft. I don't know where the little kids went. Because once I saw that thing, I couldn't look at anything else. So I don't know where they went. Then I thought in my head, oh my God, my kids, because they're in this house and this craziness is out. You know, what is this? What is happening in my children? And then I heard the voice again say, your children are fine. And then the next thing I remember is I hear my name, Debbie. And when I did, it was like someone snapped their fingers and everything I just described to you was gone from my mind and I could move. I remember pivoting on my feet and walking up, walking across the patio, up the the back steps to the upper patio where the kitchen door opened up and there was my mom. It was my mom who had called my name. I didn't realize it at the time, but we later realized that mom had yelled my name out the door. And she said, is everything okay? And I said, yeah, everything's cool. But I felt like I needed to get wet. I don't know why. 
but I'm like, I didn't want to go back and cut patterns anymore. I wanted to go get in that swimming pool right now. So I can't remember whether Deanna and her daughter drove over or if I went back to her house and then they came back with me, but my friend and her daughter came back and were swimming with me. And we walked across the backyard as her daughter stepped on something in the backyard. She thought she'd stepped on a bee and gotten stung. She said her foot burned, then it started tingling, then it started to go numb. And then she said her whole leg was numb. And we were thinking, you know, she got stepped on a bee or something. We didn't see anything. So her mom is like, well, get in the swimming pool. The cool water will make it feel better if it's a bee sting. So we're in the pool, maybe 10 minutes, and all of us got real nauseated. Me especially. And I got to where like radiation. (laughs) My eyes hurt so bad. My eyes were on fire and I was seeing halos around all the lights. Like when you're chlorine, when you're a kid and you go swimming, you open your eyes under the water and the chlorine gets your eyes. And then, you know, it was kind of like that, only much more intense. And I'm like, I, you know, we just called it a night and they went home. I came in, dad got home from work. I went to bed. That's when I woke up the next morning and my eyes were swelled shut. And mom took me to the hospital, to the emergency room. From that point on, I started having panic attacks. I couldn't sleep at night. I couldn't go in the bathroom because the window there overlooked that patio I'd been on. I was sitting up in my kids' room between their twin beds at night and I couldn't sleep at night, like I was waiting for something. And then when mom would get up in the morning, then I would collapse by exhaustion. I literally believe I had a nervous breakdown at that point. Now that following weekend was 4th of July weekend and the family was all coming over to go swimming. Everybody ran out to the back and to the swimming pool to go swimming. And the oldest nephew comes in and goes, grandma, what's wrong with your yard? And she's like, what are you talking about? And he said, well, come and look. So all of us were outside in the yard and we we're like, it was like the who's in Whoville standing around the tree at Christmas time. Mm-hmm. We're all standing around this giant mark in the yard. And my mom's like, well, that's where our UFO landed the other night. <laughs> and I looked at my mom and I thought, what is wrong? She, she was giggling. The kids were giggling and I was not giggling. I looked at her and I thought, what is wrong with you? And then I looked back at that mark in the yard and it was like a switch flipped in me. And I remembered, I remembered the light. I remembered the kids. I was seeing it flashing in front of me as I looked at this mark. And I remembered a lot of things. I started remembering, you know, for, for days afterwards, I started remembering all kinds of Stuff like the night that I was 18 and those two gray guys in my room, the night that I was in the car with my friend, you know, I started remembering all kinds of weird little things that made no sense that were coming back to me and just clips. And, you know, I thought I was having a nervous breakdown. I thought I was losing my mind. I had read a book. Well, I had tried to read a book called Missing Time by a guy named Bud Hopkins. Okay. Mm-hmm. I had picked it up. I really didn't know that much about what was in it. But after I realized what it was about, I'm like, oh, this might be interesting. So I I picked it up and I tried reading it two or three times. I I have never fully read the entire book. I tried to read it. Every time I did, I'd have a panic attack because I'm like, "This, this is crazy stuff. But I knew that in the back of the book, there was a place where you could write to the author if you thought you'd had an experience like this. And so I went back to the library and I got the address out of that book. And I wrote him and I sent him like 
14 Polaroids and 14 page letter, you know, and because at this point now that we've seen the mark in the yard, I'm desperately trying to figure out what it is, that it just absolutely cannot be anything like what was in this book. There, no, it just can't be. It's, I can't. This, I can't. This is crazy stuff. So I'm doing everything I know how to do to debunk my own stuff or to find a, the reasonable explanation for everything. I mean, my dad is a ham radio operator and there was a hundred foot tower really close to where this thing was. The coax cables that came from the tower into the house, the metal inside the cables were all melted together. My dad had to repair them. the transformer that was on the power pole next to the pump house of the swimming pool caught on fire with a few days later and had to be replaced. Just all kinds of weird stuff. I could find a bunch of experts like at the agricultural agents at Purdue University and whatnot. I could find a bunch of people to tell me what it wasn't or what couldn't cause this, you know, but no one could tell me what it could be. And that's when I decided to turn to him, to Bud. And I wrote to him. And from that point on, there was like a three-year-long investigation. I went to New York a couple of times. He came out here several times. He interviewed neighbors. We found witnesses to that night. Two different neighbors witnessed stuff. One right next door to us, her house shook and her televisions turned red. And she got extremely paranoid and thought someone next door was going to come over and get her. And her husband came home from work and found her hiding behind a couch. And then the other lady across the street from us was a shift worker. She was a nurse at the local hospital getting ready. She was still in bed and was going to be getting up shortly for her shift. But she was awakened early by what she thought was a jet about to crash into her house. The sound was so loud, the roaring sound, and her house was shaking so hard. But the odd thing that she remembered the most was that the power and all of the clocks in the front of her house, which are closest to mom's yard, stopped. The power in the back of the house, the clocks in the back of the house where she was sleeping were still running. The hell? Those clocks, do you know if they were... I don't like have mechanical or because that's the I, other thing, too. I don't know because electrical clocks, you would expect them to stop in some sort of power anomaly. But sometimes mechanical clocks stop, too, which is the weird part about this. I, you know, it's probably in intruders because it was part of Bud's in, intruders is Bud's investigation. You know, and then I went and wrote books later that were my experience in my own words. So you have two different perspectives. You have one of the experiencer and then you have one of the guy who investigated the entire thing. So and I'll put both is, links below so people yeah. can can purchase them. So and then eventually Tracy Torme bought the rights to intruders for a while. And the, the CBS put out a miniseries of the same name, Intruders. It was in 1992, I believe, on CBS. It was a three part miniseries. Mayor Winningham played me. I can't remember the name of the other guy, the famous guy who played Bud. But, I mean, it was interesting. It wasn't factual per the book, <laughs> but it was one of the first things. You know, right. you got to remember the time. It was one of the first things that I ever saw on TV that didn't have, you know, like I call it hokey porn music and laugh tracks attached to it because it was talking about aliens. It actually treated the subject with respect, and that was a good thing, you know, so... I was happy for that. But anyway, it left a mark in the yard 
which I still have soil samples of that I've had for 40 years that I've kept. Bud had some of the soil analyzed and his findings are in intruders. I can't exactly remember, but it had to be, that soil had to be extraordinarily manipulated to even get close. That mark that lasted in the yard for two and a half or three years. And the first year, snow melted off of it. Every time we got a snow, within a half an hour of the snow falling, that mark would reappear in the snow. So that's bizarre. There were a lot of factors. There were a lot of things with this case besides me just seeing them and the mark in the yard and the witnesses and all the other stuff. That's why when Bud finished his investigation several years later, he came to the family and he said, look, I want to write a book about this. This is important. This is an important case with so much in it that, and it's, it's important. And I want to write a book. And my family and I were like, eh, I don't think so. <laughs> we, we don't want to be famous. We had weirdos showing up in the backyard before anybody mm-hmm. even knew about us taking pictures and stuff out of the yard and whatnot. And so, you know, we were terrified. We just wanted to have normal lives. So were he they promised- weirdos or were they government agents? Well, to me, they're weirdos because they're on our property without permission. But our neighbor called us one time when we weren't home and she goes, did you know that some man in a suit with a briefcase was in your backyard? Mm. And we're like, no, we don't know who that was. And she's like, well, he was there. I saw him. And my dad's like, what did they do? And he goes, I don't know. He was down on his knees and that at that mark in your yard. I'm like, uh, okay. So I don't know what that was. My dad's been sitting at the kitchen table before having a coffee and a cigarette. Somebody pulls down the side drive, goes in the turnaround, pulls back up the face, the back of the house where the mark is, jumps out of their car, snaps a bunch of pictures of the back of the house and the mark, jumps back in their car and drives off before the old man can even get himself out of his chair and out the door. And this was before the book was written. This was before it was publicly known. So was anyone ever sent to question you like the authorities, police? No, not the police, but I've had a couple people come and knock on the door. I had a young man one time. This was years later. This was after Intruders was written. And he came and he knocked on my door. He told me that Bud had told him where I lived, which, first of all, I knew that wasn't true. But he was he had on a suit. He was very well spoken, very clean cut. He had a a briefcase. He said he only wanted to ask me one question. And I said, sure. I stood out on the front porch. I didn't let him in the house. I said, what do you want to know? Because I'll I'll tell him, I'll answer any questions from anybody. You don't have to be sneaky on me. Uh, You know, it is. I'm just that way. He wanted to know about the phone calls that I received during my pregnancy with my second son. I got weird phone calls every Wednesday at one o'clock that were squeaks and whistles and factory sounds behind it and garbled sounding, but they would elicit these emotions in me. Sometimes they felt like they were telling me they were happy. Sometimes they sounded like they were mad at me or the anger or whatever. And my mom and my husband didn't believe it. And then my mom was there one day when the phone rang. I let her answer the phone. She heard it. And when she spoke, it hung up on her. So she heard how, what I had been hearing. And as soon as I had. Know, how would he know about the phone calls? I have no idea. That's what I'm saying. That's the kind of weirdness. Did you he tell went, anybody about that oh, before no, you no. showed up? 
that was in, I believe that was after Intruders was written. So that might have been public knowledge at that time. But why he would want to ask me about just that, I have no idea. And right after my son was born, the phone calls stopped. They happened virtually the entire time I was pregnant with him. And as soon as I gave birth, they stopped. I mean, who has that? Oh, yeah, that's that's some weird stuff. What color was the suit the guy was wearing? It was dark. I can't remember whether it was black or blue, but it was a dark suit, dark tie. You know, just a typical nice suit and tie looking. Did he identify who he was or where he was from, or did he just ask starts asking questions? He told me his name, but I cannot remember. I honestly can't remember. All I do remember is him saying that he got my address from Bud, which I knew was not true because Bud would never do that to me. But I was curious to know what he wanted. And I didn't feel threatened by him. I didn't feel like I was in danger. I just stepped outside onto the porch and said, what do you want to know? You're much nicer than I would have been. You know what? I mean, and I would still be that way to this day. I I don't know. Like Phil Class used to write nasty about me and my mom in his books all the time. But the man never once talked to us, never did any investigation onto our case, never met us, never nothing. And I finally encountered him at a UFO conference in Pensacola one time. And I chased him around for two days to get him to talk to me. And I finally got him cornered. And I said, look, Mr. Class. I don't want to cause you any trouble, but I just want to know why you wrote all that stuff about my mom and me in your book, because you don't even know us. If you had any questions at all, if anybody has any questions about anything that I've said or experienced, ask me. I will tell you. I just wanted help. That's all I wanted when Bud wrote that book. And if you have some information that would be helpful for me, great. I want to hear it. But, you know, it's. I'm not going to trust you when you're already going around saying stuff about me. That's not true. That man could not even speak. And then he made some off comment, like your mother raised you right. Or some trying to be nice, you know, and I'm like, you didn't ask, but whatever. I, I felt like I got vindicated. Yeah. Was a real a little, tough guy. There real was a tough whole, guy. Like, yeah. A little, and a whole crowd yeah. standing around going, Oh, Bell, what's going to happen now? <laughs> Nothing. Yeah, I'm not not a big fan of people who mouth off when you're not around and your back's turned, but the moment yeah. you confront them, they're little, you know. Little Mickey Mouse. Cowards. Yeah, yeah little cowards. But. So, but, you know, anyway, I can't even remember what the heck I was talking about now. So no, I, I think <laughs> I think <laughs> I think now's a perfect time to end the episode. And then in the next episode, we'll talk about some of your experiences since the event. Okay. But thank you. Thank you so much. I think there's a ton of stuff we actually unearthed here that there at least made some connections that I don't may have been made before, but I think some of them are new. So we'll see. We'll talk about it in the future episode. So thank you very much. And I appreciate your time. Thank you. I appreciate you listening. If you enjoyed this video, please click on like subscribe and the notification button so that you're alerted anytime I post something new. Oh, <laughs>